Hey, thanks for downloading this podcast. If you want to listen live, be sure to download the iHeartRadio app and search for Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Thanks for listening and enjoy the show. You're listening to the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Welcome back to Fantasy Sports Today. Craig Miss, Joe Pizzapia, Super Bowl teams are set, but guess what else is coming? Fantasy baseball season. We got baseball to talk about this hour, and we start right now. Fantasy Sports Today. Welcome back, Fantasy Sports Today. Craig and Joe back here with you. It is our 1 o'clock hour. we got full-time fantasy at 2 o'clock Eastern coming up with Dr. Roto, at Craig Mish on Twitter, at Joe Pizapia 17 on Twitter, and, of course, Sean Guastamaca is producing this show. We'll dive back into some football talk as David Bierman, deputy editor from ESPN, is going to join us, talk a little wagering and what happened over the weekend and always puts out some great historical numbers. I've known David for a long time, so he'll join us coming up in just a little bit. But before we do that, let's uh, head over to some baseball conversation. And, of course, on Sunday, ain't going to get a lot of that. With, uh, with the AFC and NFC championship game going on. But there were a couple of moves and some potential moves and some fan fest moves to talk about. We don't get to do a lot of baseball because baseball players in October and November, December, and most of January are just in hibernation as they should. Vacation, you don't have to hear from them just on social media. That's it. But when you go to fan fest, you get, you get to talk. So here it is. Let's start off with a couple of small names. Looks like headed back into baseball again for 2020. Once upon a time, Matt Wieters, a pretty highly drafted uh, catcher, for the Baltimore Orioles, once upon a time on the cover of Sports Illustrated, actually played very well in relief last year of Yadier Molina, and I'm a big Weeders fan. Got to know him when they uh, trained in South Florida for many years, the Baltimore Orioles, so he is back with the St. Louis Cardinals. And then John Heyman reported over the weekend that it's uh, that an Alex Gordon reunion in Kansas City is very close to uh, reality there. So uh, Weeders a non-factor in fantasy, but just at least worth mentioning here at the top of the show, once upon a time he was a fantasy factor. And, uh, and secondly... Um, I'm, I'm an Alex Gordon fan. He certainly had a, has had a very good career, great defensive player, gold glove player. My only thing here, Joe, is that if this happens, this sort of is an indictment, I think, maybe on Brett Phillips, who they've been waiting for for many years. It's sort of an indictment on any of these young outfielders that they have. And there is that possibility that, of course, Gordon could get traded at the All-Star break. Kansas City, one of the least <laughs> sexiest fantasy teams in the world going into the year, for sure. But uh, Gordon, certainly in an AL only, will have some sort of draft value whether in an auction it's two or three bucks or something like that but that's what we have this weekend oh well i don't know about least sexy because uh you know these guys look like uh, the swimsuit issue of sports illustrated cover model compared to the san francisco giants uh i love merrifield solaire had a great year dozier's one of my favorite values perez on a bounce back mondesi i actually i actually like this team offensively the pitching that's where we can get to that discussion of you know, being a little concerned there, but yeah, I mean, Alex Gordon kind of makes sense too, just to bring back the veteran who probably, he probably wants to play a little longer, maybe another year. Is it good to help maybe bridge the gap if Phillips isn't ready? Maybe. And you're right. That's probably the biggest question is, is an indictment there? But I mean, I think we could all agree Alex uh, Gordon doesn't have much left in the tank. And I think this is also an indictment of, you know, they drafted Bubba Starling years ago to be a star and that has not worked out. So that's another guy where they've had a couple draft picks not go their way. 
But then at the same time, they've had guys like Whit Merrifield emerge from this system out of absolute, you know, obscurity. They were able to take Solaire, pluck him away from the Cubs, and now look what he's turned into last year. So, you know, for every every prospect you miss on, sometimes you hit on somebody else. So I feel like they've done all right. The problem is the pitching. That's that's where things have really gone awry. You know, I'm trying to remember the last real pitching prospect you got excited about in Kansas City, and I think you have to go back to Odorizzi. Am I being am I being dramatic there, or is there another one in between? Because I don't remember this pipeline producing somebody that everybody was excited about seeing and going, okay, this guy could be your true ace. Am I just blocking somebody out, or can you remember one, Craig? Because that's, I think, the biggest problem with Kansas City right now is well, not they, these they had who to bring it back, but the rotation. Yeah, they they brought in Shields. Well, Shields was in, after Shields was way no, before. No, but he wasn't with them. Well, um, yeah, I mean, they brought in guys, and yeah, they brought in Cueto for the right. Boys. I'm just they had um. Who's oh the last gosh. pitching prospect you got excited about? Because I don't think we got excited about Danny Duffy. Yeah, really. yeah I, don't I, think I, got, I got it for you, but hold on, I got I got to Google the name. Is it is it Montgomery? Did Montgomery start no. there? I think that was back there. <laughs> Jordano Ventura, that's the one. Oh, right, who, who had died. Yes, yes, there you go. Thank you, thank you. Flamethrowing guy. Had a bit of a hot temper, too, but certainly had yeah, potential. Had but that way. was the last guy you yeah. got excited about in that rotation, but that's few and far between, and I think that's the story of the Kansas City Royals here is, you know, they, they're not in a position fiscally to overpay for pitching. So if they don't grow any of their own, they become a team that's at the bottom, and I think that's the hard part. That's where it's difficult. I, but as a fantasy team, I actually I'll, I like them more than I like a couple others. I can tell you yeah, that. Well, they have way ahead of the Giants. They have a couple of they have a couple of stars. That's the difference between mm-hmm. them and yeah. a lot of other teams. It's just that you know while the Giants, as an example, have four or five guys that are major league players, the Royals may only have two or three with like six duds completely, and that's you know, that's kind of what they're up against. But look, Merrifield, uh, Soler. And Mondesi, those are three and Dozier, high Dozier level. And maybe, maybe. No, I don't know about Salvador Perez this stage, but yeah. I mean, as a ca- look, as a catcher, I, I don't love taking catchers, but as a catcher, you know, he's a pretty solid. I guess that's the thing. Like he's that great value play catcher where you get what you pay for. You don't want to go to the top of the board, but you also want to be left holding the bag. Salvador Perez has been that guy, and I don't want to like cheapen that because it's. Oh, well, I know he just missed a year though. I mean, we don't know what he's going to be. I mean, it's, I think he had Tommy John surgery, right? Yeah, but I mean, we've seen. Sano had that. Luis Gonzalez had that. I mean, a lot of players over the years have Tommy John who are hitters. I don't think that's, you know, too concerning. I, I care about his hitting, not throwing out guys. I do. He's also older, too. Like, I just, it's, I mean, is Salvador Perez a top 10 catcher in fantasy this year? Uh, I could check your ADP and find out. If you move on to something else, I'll come back to All you. Right. <laughs> All right. We'll, we'll check that out. Uh, uh, let's see. We hit on Altuve a little bit, who said that they're going to win the World Series this year. They'll be right back there. He said that at FanFest over the weekend. Uh, Dusty Baker, they they found him at the airport yesterday. That was really interesting. They caught up with him yep. yesterday arriving to Houston. That. And um, look, it looks like the Astros are going a little bit on the experience side here with the names that they have mentioned. Gibbons and Dusty Baker have been the two primary names. Showalter has been another name. And Baker, I think, would do a really nice job for them and kind of keep it in line. They would just also have to get ready to groom someone for the future, too. I don't. I mean, they'd have to, I think, bring in a bench coach of of, uh, of a younger type, so, sort of how Dave Martinez with, with, uh, with Washington. Yeah, I think that's exactly the way you want to go. And I think a personality like Dusty Baker, who's going to, you know, a personality like Buck Showalter, I think that's exactly where you want to go. You want to get somebody who can handle the media, handle what's going on, be able to put everything to rest, go out and get everybody focused on playing baseball. And Dusty Baker is a bit different personality than Buck Showalter. Buck's very stoic. Dusty's, you know, although Buck is fun in his own way, I actually like Buck Showalter a lot. Uh, I think his personality is terrific. But Dusty's a little bit more... You know, kind of one of the guys a little bit, and I, that might work as well. So I think either way is good. To answer your question, too, Salvador Perez, number seven catcher overall. Mitch Garver, Wilson Contreras, Yasmani Grandal, Gary Sanchez, who looks huge, by the way, and JT Real Muto 
uh, all ahead of him. After him, Wilson Ramos, Christian Vasquez, Omar Navarez, Carson Kelly, and Jorge Alfaro. So I think you're underestimating how bad catcher is. So yeah, Sal Perez is still a top 10 catcher. He's almost a top five one. Yeah, I definitely underestimated how bad catcher is. <laughs> it's bad, dude. It's bad. And enjoy those two catcher AL only leagues you're in. <laughs> yeah, I don't know why they don't change that. At least uh, in, in labor, they're doing away with it. That's the one good new, uh, piece of news that I saw from over the weekend. That uh, well, The suggestion has been to eliminate that. That's it's got to be done. All right, uh, coming up next, we'll go back into a little bit of football as David Bierman, the ESPN's deputy editor of sports betting, is going to join us. We'll go over the early odds on the Super Bowl coming up this weekend. Some of the things and the ways that ESPN has been covering uh, sports betting, in addition to, of course, the way we do it here at SportsGrid. Thought we would get another take on that. So David will join us in just a couple of minutes. You're listening to Fantasy Sports Today. And when we come back, we talk sports betting with David Bierman. Then we go over the final win totals that we have not hit yet on uh, in Major League Baseball. The Westgate numbers are out. Caesars is out. Points bet is out. We'll go over those. Texas, Toronto, Washington. And then over the weekend, Joe and I both had a chance to catch the Aaron Hernandez documentary, too. So that's coming up. Don't go away. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. Well, I like fantasy sports today. And I like football. And I'm going to keep doing them both because they make me feel good. And welcome back to Fantasy Sports Today. Craig Mish, Joe Pizzicchia, back with you here on the show. We got a Super Bowl coming your way very soon. And how is uh, ESPN going to be covering this thing? It's going to be really interesting to have that discussion. How have they been covering uh, betting and how they will do it in the future? We're joined by David Beerman now. He is the deputy editor of Sports Betting over at ESPN.com. You can follow him on Twitter at DB1Sports. You know, first of all, before we get into the Super Bowl and all of that, you have been uh, asked to essentially take over a lot of the content as it pertains to sports betting on ESPN. And I find it, or ESPN.com as well, and I find it very interesting because for many years, as you know, the leagues themselves were very hesitant to get involved in this. But as state by state, we're finding the legalization of sports betting coming into fruition. It makes sense that ESPN and our company here, SportsGrid, and all of the other companies like FanDuel and DraftKings and William Hill uh, and, and television and radio get involved as well because we're, we're entering into a world where this is being talked about a lot more because you can actually take advantage of it legally. Absolutely. You're, you're correct. And obviously the Supreme Court um, over changing PASPA a few years ago changed everything for everybody, all of us who are involved in the sports betting content. I would say it's, it's been a long road and we always covered it from afar where we would develop gambling content at ESPN and we would pitch it to shows, but nobody was really taking it because it was considered taboo and it wasn't legal in any state but Nevada. So nobody really did anything with it other than occasionally mention a line or you would hear game day, you know, tongue in cheeking it with Corso saying, I predict this team will win by six and an extra point. Or you see, uh, you know, Brett Musburger, who obviously now has his own show on VEASAN, would, would talk about it in a backhanded way. And that's kind of the way it was handed, handled forever. Al Michaels was a big one that would do it tongue in cheek. And then little by little, we started breaking down some walls because even though the leagues were heavy against it, you just knew what direction this was headed. It was gaining a lot of steam and people wanted to talk about it more. So I was at the time I was in our stats information group and we developed gambling databases and educational sessions for people around the company to 
learn more about sports betting because as you know, you either know it or you don't know it. It's not something that you wake up one day and know, you know, what a money line is or what a point spread is. So we were teaching people a lot. You know, imagine having a class at ESPN on campus where we'd be up there and teaching people what a money line was and what, what a point spread was because nobody had experience in it. And then as you got closer and closer to the Supreme Court overturning it, we got prepared. So if they do overturn it, what are we going to do? And that included growing our space in the digital world on ESPN Chalk, which I oversee, and also starting a TV show, Daily Wager, that's on Monday through Fridays and on Sundays during football season, that we put together that TV show. We had a pilot just to show Disney what we could do with it, and it went all the way up to Bob Iger, and they approved it. And the next thing you know, we launched the show in March. So we're going on about 10 months with the show, Daily Wager. It's very exciting that we could have a six-day-a-week, sometimes seven-day-a-week gambling show as well as um, all the content you see on ESPN.com chalk. So it's been exciting that ESPN and, and Disney have embraced pushing more and more content out there. And that's what we are. We are a content producing network and sports betting is just another arm in that area that you can produce content. And I'd always said that, you know, we could do stats and then you could do stats with gambling nuggets. And that's what we kind of do. Yeah. And, and uh, Daily Wager is a great show. Of course, I pay attention to that and, and over at ESPN.com. I mean, I think that that, what I try to do, and I think that it's it's really been helpful for me. And and I would, you know, people look at me as like an expert in the field, and there is really I like to say that there's kind of no expert in the field because all you're doing is strictly making an opinion. The best people in the world are picking this right 55 percent of the time. What I try to do is immerse myself in what everybody else's thoughts are and try to educate myself from groupthink and see if I am on the right path with a lot of this, whether it's picking, whether it's analytics, or whether it's being on the right side or the wrong side. And, and inevitably, that's the direction that I try to go. The The follow-up to that, David, is that it's interesting because in the fantasy community, and I knew that we were headed toward this when FanDuel and DraftKings came along. Like People would say, like, what are they here for? Oh, this DF, they were never here for DFS, I don't think. I think they were always here to eventually uh, take the rake on sports betting when it becomes legal. And we're seeing that now. FanDuel and DraftKings are heavily immersed into that. DFS is still popular, but I think as, as the years go on, it's going to be more geared toward uh, their gambling book. Um, do you think that gambling will have this pop like it's having where the popularity is now, I don't think it's reached an all-time high because we only have you know, less than half of the states have it legally, but there's going to come a time, I think, similar to when DFS started where it was so wildly popular and these guys were advertising everywhere. You couldn't get through a commercial on an NFL game without it, and then it just kind of dropped off and settled into what it is. Do you think that also happens with gambling, or do you think that it goes above where that is out was out and continues on that path? I think it'll be a little bit different because, uh, like you had mentioned with DFS, the pop they had, they were legal and everywhere. And because they were legal everywhere, you could do the advertising nationwide and, and put it all over the map. And that was, you know, in your face, let's promote it, promote it, promote it. It had this big, huge burst. And then, of course, it's always going to go the other way when you go too fast, too quickly. Yeah. And I look at sports betting as something that – sports betting has always been there. DFS didn't exist for a while. There was a couple of pop-up companies. And then, bam, right in your face, DFS is here. We're new, we're big, we're proud, and it had that explosion, and you still couldn't sports bet. So because you couldn't sports bet, you went ahead and did DFS. Sports betting, <clears throat> excuse me, sports betting has always been there, even if it was just in Las Vegas, or the illegal market, the overseas market, the bookie market. So people have been sports betting, regardless if they were allowed to or not. And I think <clears throat> you're going to see, <clears throat> excuse me, the growth continue as it becomes more and more legal in every state. And I always point to the average fan, whether it was you or me back in the day, who would go to a game, go to a Dolphins game, and, you know, we would have our fantasy teams and then we'd be interested in betting, but we couldn't bet unless we found a place to do it. Right. Now you're seeing pop-ups in states like New Jersey and others, Philadelphia or Pennsylvania, where you could actually make a bet, go to a game and cash your bet afterwards. And that's something that was never done in the United States because there were no teams in Las Vegas. You couldn't actually physically make a bet, 
go to the game and cash your bet afterwards or sit there with if you're in New Jersey, which I tried it during one of the Monday night games. And here I am overseeing a lot of our sports betting. And still, I had never been to a game where I could actually legally live bet. And I had a ball. It was the Monday night game between the Giants and the Cowboys. And I sat there with the DraftKings, FanDuel's and Bet 888, you name it, I had about 20 apps open. I just sat there and live bet for three straight hours, and it was fascinating. It was watching the game from a completely different angle. And if you're a sports fan who, who goes to the game and you have your fantasy lineup open at all times, and you're rooting for your team, but you're really watching your fantasy team, you can do that with betting now. You don't have to just place a bet illegally somewhere and hope your team wins. You can sit there and live bet and live bet and live bet. And I think that's where the future of sports betting is in terms of the engagement of the fan it's just another way to watch sports. And that's why I think it's going to continue growing because people love sports to begin with. People love watching their team. People love watching their fantasy team. And now when you add the extra, by the way, you can profit off of this and you can make money by betting pregame, betting in-game, live betting. It just adds another level of engagement that I don't think will go down like it did with DFS because DFS was, to me, a novelty that had never existed. Boom, it existed. You couldn't sports bet. Now you can, and DFS went the other way. I think gambling will continue to grow in sports set. And, you know, you look at the Las Vegas casinos, they thought would take a hit because Jersey's legal and because Philadelphia is legal. I was just in Vegas last weekend for the National Championship game. There's no hit. <laughs> there no, are people no, in yeah. every single book loving the fact that, you know, now you're just going to Vegas. Instead of just going for the weekend to go play cards and, and have, you know, your debauchery of fun, you can go to Vegas and, and actually understand sports betting and bet on sports because you learned it in your home state. So yep. people now are like, okay, let's go, let's go to Vegas for the weekend and actually sports bet, not do that thing that you can't do back home. Yeah, and, and doing it back home is going to engage people to go to Vegas. I think it's going to be the opposite. Yep. I think more people are going to go there. They're going to be in West Virginia or Mississippi or New Jersey, wherever they are, Colorado, and say, wow, wait, you can do this actually with a bunch of buddies in a casino. They're going to go to Las yep. Vegas for sure. Um, David Bierman is with us at DB1 Sports. You could follow him, and we're talking some uh, wagering, how ESPN handles it, and certainly how we handle it here at Sports Grid. And what are your thoughts on the uh, lines for the Super Bowl, where the Chiefs opened up basically as a point? Now it's moved to a point and a half. The total is surfing around 51, 52, 53. Uh, do you think that this is an accurate line? Do you, do you like either side on this initially? Is there any advantage right now that you see to getting in on this early? Or is it simply a matter of if you like the Chiefs, bet it now. If you like the Niners, wait. I mean, that seems to me to be at least the direction that if I was a, a fan or a proponent of either two teams that I would take. Uh, I would agree with that. I think if you like the Chiefs, and, and I do personally, I, I jumped on it last night when it was around a pick em. Uh, I got it at pick em and I got it at one. I think the Chiefs are the better team. Uh, I know Vegas had them rated about a point higher, which is why the line opened where it was. Having the Chiefs a little bit higher in the power rankings, just, their offense is so explosive and so fast. We saw that in the national championship with LSU, how, yeah, you can be behind, but then you can come. And this is two consecutive games where they were down you know, double-digit points and just popped up against good defenses to score a lot of points. Um, I would jump on it now if you like Kansas City, because right now, as of this morning, according to some of the books that I spoke with, 70% of the action is on the Chiefs. Yeah, so it might continue to climb a little bit uh, as people start dialing in and realizing this matchup is set. You can go bet it. There's obviously going to be sharp movement early, and then there's going to be sharp movement late. It's kind of how the pros do it, where the public's going to mess around and, and pick whatever side they want. Um, if you're a 49ers fan and, uh, of this matchup, you probably will get a better number as it gets closer and closer to next week. I think at the very, very end, if San Francisco is you know around two or two and a half, you'll see sharp action back on the other side on San Francisco. and It'll probably finish right around one and a half, two with Kansas City. Uh, in terms of the total, I like the over. And there's not many games that have gone over 52 and a half when the, when the total has been this high in the Super Bowl. But it was the same number you had yesterday in, in the Chiefs game, and they blew that out of the water. And it's a similar number that you had the week before 
when Kansas City blew it out of the water. And sure, they have not faced a defense as good as San Francisco's, but Kansas City has proven that they can score on anybody in bunches. And even yesterday, San Francisco, as good as their defense is, and I know a lot of it was in garbage time, they still did allow 20 to Green Bay. So, you know, and Green Bay, an offense that's nowhere close to what Kansas City could do. So I, I would lean over the total. But I am intrigued as the props continue to come out over the next couple of you know next couple of days, what the props look like. Uh, one they asked me last night when I was on uh, on Decent, which one am I looking forward to seeing what the number is? And personally, I, I like to see what Pat Mahomes' rushing yards is. I think that's what won the game for them yesterday, his ability to keep drives alive. If that number is anywhere in the mid 30s, I'll probably pop on the over because all it's going to take is one long run for that to hit. So I look to see they'll probably book it in the mid 30s. Uh, but yeah, I would I would side right now, Kansas City in the over, but it's a long two weeks, as you know. Uh, David, thank you again for coming on the show. And uh, if you don't mind, next week we'll have you back on. We'll go over all these props, if that's cool with you, okay? Absolutely. Looking forward to it. Thanks, guys. All right, David Bierman at DB1 Sports, Deputy Editor of Sports Betting at ESPN.com. We'll be right back after this. Don't go away. DailyRoto.com. Learn from the game's best DFS players. We don't just give you premier advice. We play every day. All major sports, all year round, we never stop. Industry-leading DFS tools and custom projections. And now, the DailyRoto.com Optimizer. In minutes, build an optimized lineup for cash games and tourneys. Learn from the game's best DFS players. Join DailyRoto.com. Fantasy Sports Today with Craig Mish and Joe Pizzapia. Welcome back, Fantasy Sports Today. Craig and Joe back here with you. Thanks again to David Bierman for coming on the show, talking some sports betting. And uh, you can see just how much ESPN is into this now. It's really changed quite a bit. David and I talk some baseball all the time. He knows I'm a big baseball fan and baseball guy, so we go over some of the totals two years ago Joe as we get into it now here and we close out this discussion maybe we'll bring it back up again for February and March but for now uh, we, we, we've basically taken our time with these to kind of illustrate what these teams may be in 2020 uh, two years ago the Rangers were at 76 and a half and they added Tim Lincecum Joe that was the only offseason addition and so in breaking it down it seemed to me that the Rangers weren't trying they weren't in it to win it and needless to say, they almost lost 100 games. That was that was my big one from two years ago. Uh, last year, people asked me about the Rangers again, thinking like I'm some sort of Rangers whisperer. I'm like, no, that was it was just simply about the one year, the one setup. They have Calhoun. They have young guys on the on the on the rise here. I would not get just so in love and infatuated with one team. Every team is different. It's like the stock market from year to year. So they opened their win total at this year, Joe, at 77 and a half. So let's kind of play both sides here. The positive side, they're in a new ballpark. The positive side, they've added an ace in Corey Kluber. They've also added another offensive weapon. They have been a wasteland at third, and my buddy Ronald Guzman did not have a great year last year, so they have not had great production at first. They've had uh, Danny Santana playing, and they're projecting him to be a starter again on this team, and that's like coming out of nowhere because Santana once upon a time was a really good player but hadn't been viable at all in reality or fantasy. Now he's a player on their team. Uh, so Todd Frazier comes in. He plays there too. Uh, Odor's coming off a bad year. Mazzara was coming off an eh year. They dumped him out. They're going to play Calhoun more. Uh, you kind of know who Chu is. The pitching staff beyond Corey Kluber is way more impressive than what it was two years ago with Lance Lynn. They added Jordan Lyles. Their pitching staff is like somewhat viable. LeClerc 
is a decent bullpen arm. They added some pieces to that as well. Uh, I could see the Rangers going over the 77 and a half. And if you catch it now and they do make another addition, whether it's Ozuna or Castellanos, you're adding a, a, a three war or a four war potential player. This would fly over 77 and a half. Now, if they don't add that, then this is a debatable issue here because on the flip side of it, they're still in division with the Astros, still in division with the A's. I mean, Texas does not smell like an 85 win team here. It smells like a team that's trying to show some face in their new ballpark, which every team does. And I think they've done enough to this point to do that, especially by adding Kluber. That's just a huge ad for opening day. But is it an over right now with the way the team stands at 77 and a half? Joe, I maintain probably not. It's close. But you could get in on a, on a good number here if they add one more piece, and that would be huge for them. You know what? Last year, uh, they were in a spot where they won basically the same amount of games. They won 78. There's another addition you're not talking about of all the additions. It's another 80-plus games of Joey Gallo, which they did not have last year because that's a big difference. Joey Gallo had 40 home runs back-to-back seasons before last year, and Joey Gallo was on pace to have by far his best season. I don't people realize that the improvement that Joey Gallo made year over year. Now he still strikes out way too much. So I'm, I'm all about that. I, I get it. He strikes out way too much, but he also started to walk more, which is a positive. So the slash went from you know, that 206, 312, 498. The slash last year over 70 games was 253, 389, 598. Okay, that is a big, huge difference maker there. So Kluber is a huge addition. You you need without doubt. Lance Lynn and Mike Miner to at least come close to last year. You don't need them to repeat, but last week we did Lance Lynn second half, and we all talked about how damn amazing that was. You're going to need that to happen at least close to it. Same thing with Mike Miner. But the biggest addition, besides adding somebody like Cassianos, which would absolutely, I think, put this to be a 500 baseball team, if not better, is Joey Gallo, a healthy Joey Gallo. And also the fact that you could also maybe get a healthy Willie Calhoun here too, who I also think is a really nice player with some pop there that can really add something to this order. They've got some thump in here. They've got some power arms at the top. They've got some power in the middle of this order. I think adding a guy like Todd Frazier is really smart. And look, I know Odor's had his issues. I get it. He's very frustrating. I think this is, you know, kind of the, the end of the book here on Odor after this year, no matter what. But at the same time, I'm looking at Texas and Texas to me feels like one of those teams where we sit back probably sometime in August and go, wow, look how good Texas has been this year. To me, this is a team that has all those elements in it to kind of sneak up on you. So I'm going to go over here. Because I think the biggest addition is those 80-plus games where Joey Gallo's in the middle of that order, not only producing runs and home runs, but also making everybody else better around him because of his presence in the lineup. It's asking a lot. When you take away that middle-of-the-order guy, when the Red Sox took away Ortiz, you know, they were not the same lineup. When you put in J.D. Martinez back in, all of a sudden they become a juggernaut offense. This matters. And Joey Gallo is that guy right now. So I'm going to go with over here. Do you think this is an over? Did I sell you on the concept when you add the ace, when you add Joey Gallo, and maybe one more piece? Uh, not really, because uh, while I do agree with having Gallo for 80, 80 more games, and let's just let's not say 80 because that's unrealistic, but let's say 70, you know. Um, OK, there, well, he only played no, 70 it, last year, so let's even 70. Right. No, I know. But, but 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 then I but then I told you that uh, that Kluber got hurt. You know, it's like every team has these injury issues. I could go through every team and health. So this is a free a, agent year for Kluber, right? Correct me if I'm wrong, but he could get hurt. Like health is not a good health is not a predictable uh uh, narrative. It's not a predictable uh, way to go about doing this in my mind for a season long win total. I don't I don't it, it's like trying to determine if DeGrom and Syndergaard are going to be healthy the whole year. You don't think so. But we, and we well, use but, the oh, but Joey Gallo played 144, 45 games, 148 games back to back years. So I don't see why, you know, the one season of 70, we don't look back and say, OK, well, I mean, we, we kind of just 
don't want to crumple thrown out the window because like you said, anybody could get hurt anytime. We could do that to any of these win totals. But I think the idea is even with some sort of injuries or with some things not breaking their way, I think this is a better team than last year, just from flat out adding Kluber and having a, a mostly or more of Joey Gallo. So 77 and a half seems almost like a gimme. Yeah, it's not. Uh, but again, like if, if he is healthy, certainly that helps. But a lot of other things have to continue to break right health wise for them, too. Uh, I would lean toward the over. It does feel like Texas is a better team than they were last year. And you get to the, the point in July, the key will be uh, in order for Texas to go over this, they're going to need to make additions in July and they're not going to have and not make subtractions. And if they are too far back and make trades, then that would eliminate them from from this total. And that's that would be my concern here. But, uh, you know, certainly it's it's fair points brought. I just don't use uh, health as an indicator for a season long deal. Uh, maybe for fantasy, it's a little bit different where you draft a guy, but for wins and losses, I mean, there's going to be a player on some team that we're not talking about that's going to get hurt and is going to and the team is going to go under their total because of it. And it's just not predictable. We don't know. Uh, Toronto Blue Jays is one of the bigger discrepancies. The Blue Jays win total on points bet is 73 and a half. And in uh, in Vegas, it's 76. It's rare to see two and a half wins be the differential here. But apparently Vegas sees a little bit differently than New Jersey. The Blue Jays are definitely a team on the rise at this point, but rising toward what has to be the question. They added Hunjin Ru to front their rotation. The Blue Jays had probably the worst rotation in years in Major League Baseball last year. It was just embarrassing what they were throwing out there, but they were a team in rebuild. They got rid of Kevin Pillar the night before the season started. Pillar went to go on and have a great season with the Giants, and they cut him too. They waited a while to call up Guerrero. They waited a while to call up Biggio and to call up Bichette, and then once they did... It seemed like the Blue Jays were headed in the right direction. So with the addition of Ryu and a couple of other smaller additions that the Blue Jays made, they are projecting them to win at least 10 more games than they were last year. And that 76 number, I got to say, looks a little high playing in the, that division in the American League East. But there certainly has to be a lot of optimism surrounding the Blue Jays. And if Ryu is going to be the guy that he was in L.A. and he fronts the staff the way that he fronted L.A.'s at, at different points last year, then this definitely would be an interesting uh, over for the Blue Jays. But I don't know that I necessarily believe in that. And I wonder what happens when these young kids go from year one to year two. So um, last year, ironically, my big bet was the Blue Jays under. It was over from start to finish. And when they traded Pilar right before the season started, I was like jumping up and down for joy because that was a very big bet for me. Uh, I won't get involved with the Blue Jays this year because I could see them being somewhat competitive and then making an addition or two. This is not a franchise that can go into rebuild mode for three or four years because of the fan base there. They just can't do it. Similar to the Giants. Giants may be able to pull it off this year. They're not going to be able to do this two years in a row. So this will be a stay away for me. But I think it's interesting that one book has them at 73 and a half and the other at 76. Yeah, I would take the under on the 76. I think that's actually pretty safe. The 73, I would kind of I'd be very worried about. But the 76, I, I don't know, man. You're asking them to get almost nine games better year over year. So. I think Vlad's going to have a, a good season. I really do. I like Vlad's value so much more this year than I did last year. Last year was absurd. People were taking him in the end of the third round, and I was looking at people like, are we, people were taking him over Eugenio Suarez, and I kept looking at people going, are you kidding me, man? You're going to let me take Suarez? You're going to take Vlad ahead of him? I mean, I love the talent, but this is not a keeper league, bro. You got you to gotta win now. Uh, Guriel had a terrific year, too. I know we're going to talk yeah, that, about him that's more. A big name, um, yeah, that's a big name, too, that I I should have mentioned. That he no, is, that's all right. That's why he's I'm gotta be a. He's got to be... Um, a good reason for an over two. Yeah, he really 
He uh, had I, I, great shocking, finish. Shocking, shocking, shocking. Because he got sent well, down it, and came back up and was great. I mean, that's, that's but then you look at what he did the minors, it wasn't shocking. You were waiting for him to take the minors up to the big leagues. And sometimes it's a matter of confidence. Sometimes it's a matter of too much well, pressure. Well, he couldn't play defense. He had the gips. Well, and, and defense, and, when you, and you and I both know, right? You, you boot a ball. <laughs> next thing you know, you take that up to the plate with you. And that's not a good combination of things. So that's, that's always a worry. But you look at the top of this order. Shit, Biggio, Guriel, Guerrero. All right. You look at the bottom end of this order. Reese McGuire. You know, who knows you're going to get out of Travis Shaw, Teoscar Hernandez, I thought had talent, but he hasn't been able to put it together. Derek Fisher. I, I, I And the same thing with the rotation, too. Yeah, Ryu could be great, and Ryu could be what he was last year, but do we really expect the rest of this rotation with Anderson and Roark and Shoemaker and Baruki and, and who else can get in there to really carry them? I don't. I don't think – I think 76 is a lot. Maybe they can get to the 70s. That's sure. I think they're better than last year without a doubt. But you want to talk about one injury killing a team. Yeah, they got injury to Ryu kills this team. And Ryu is a guy that has a much bigger injury history than a guy like a Joey Gallo. When we go back historically and look at it, Ryu's hurt all the time. So I think you have to factor that into the guys like Ryu are the ones you factor in. Oh boy, what if we have another Ryu injury, which we've had time and time again? That's a guy that, you know, there's no depth there to pick up the slack. There's depth if Corey Kluber gets hurt. They still won X number of games last year without Corey Kluber because Lynn and Minor were really good. But I don't think they can sustain an injury to Ryu in this rotation. I think it would be devastating, and it's it's not an impossibility when you look at the track record. I feel like this is about their number where it should be. Um, you know, Seventy three sounds about right. But this, was their, but this was their number last year. This sixty seven. They won last year, right? But their number going into right. the year was seventy six. Mm-hmm. With the team they had last year, it was like I was stared at that thing, going, "How in the world?" This year's a little different. They have those young kids at least up. So if you add, it'll be competitive. Wins, but winning games and competitive, you know that. Winning games. Yeah, I, it just wouldn't. It wouldn't shock me to see them go over. It wouldn't shock me to see them go under. It's. It's just a. a you would need the Rays or the Red Sox to really come. Well, back that's the, the thing. Back. Is July? You know. I mean. I, I, don't I, know. Need, I need these Mookie Betts trade stuff to go away. So <laughs> you got any more of them Mookie Betts trades? Unbelievable. All right. Uh, we'll be back with more uh, coming up in a couple of minutes. Don't go away. DailyRoto.com. Learn from the game's best DFS players. We don't just give you premier advice. We play every day. All major sports, all year round, we never stop. Industry-leading DFS tools and custom projections. And now, the DailyRoto.com Optimizer. In minutes, build an optimized lineup for cash games and tourneys. Learn from the game's best DFS players. Join DailyRoto.com. Fantasy Sports Today with Craig Mish and Joe Pizzapia. And welcome back to Fantasy Sports Today. It is Craig Mish along with Joe Pizzapia. And we are back here with you guys on the show as uh, it's, it's really interesting that without football going on, especially college for me, you know, not having college football on Saturdays is a real bummer. It's something that I always look forward to and is always, you know, really the main course before the appetizer for me for the NFL on Sunday. So I missed that quite a bit. And and then having those two games yesterday, it's like I, I pay attention to college basketball and I watch games, but I don't sit from noon to seven watching college basketball. It's just like watching a half or watching a quarter. 
And I can accomplish a lot more. There's a lot of really good analytical college basketball websites out there that produce some great data and information that I can check out and sometimes without even watching the games get a feel for how they are. Because a lot of what I do for college uh, basketball is simply preparation for March to make sure that I don't sound like an idiot on that, which is hard enough to do. But basically what I'm stating is that there's some time available. There's time available. And so when there's time, it gives you the opportunity to watch different television shows. As an example, Kirby Enthusiasm was back last night. I had a chance to see the first episode. Oh, this how season. was the premiere? How was it? Was it fun? Very good. Yeah, very good. Okay. Very, very I, I need. I think I need. A, I think I'm at a point where I, I'm ready to get back into the wagon there, because I I didn't see a couple seasons. I loved the show, and then I met, I stopped watching at the right before the Seinfeld reunion year. That was good. And, season two. Yeah. So I, I might have to go back he and pick it up. He took five years off. He took five right. years off. Oh, so and then he came back to do. So, it. how many am I missing in between the Seinfeld and what happened now? What season are we up to now? Uh, nine. I think you're probably missing. I missed at least two. I feel like maybe three. Maybe three. Maybe three. Okay. Seasons. All right. I need some. I need some laughs. I definitely. The last, need to, the last season closed out pretty poorly. The last, the very last season, the last three or four episodes closed out uh, not as good as some of the others, and so it was a little disheartening. But it, but if they're all going to be like the one that was last night, then you'll really enjoy it for sure. But uh, aside from comedy, the other thing that premiered on Netflix over the weekend was this documentary on Aaron Hernandez, uh, formerly of the New England Patriots, and of course, a convicted murderer as well. So uh, it was a three part series. And really engaging, I thought, really interesting. And what what drives you into these sort of things, Joe, is the idea that you're going to get to see something or hear about something that you didn't know. And that's that's what we all want. We all want to get in on the inside. We all want to get in info that we didn't know about previously. And I think that that's what this provided in terms of the prison conversations that they put out there. And that was really the draw for me was just to kind of hear what was being said. But um but clearly one of the saddest stories that you'll see or hear uh, in a long time. My, my, well, interestingly enough, my biggest takeaway from this was the notion and, and really the notion from a lot of experts and people at the end that having the, the CTE that he had may not have had anything to do with what this guy decided to do with his life. And the people who have come out and said, hey, look, you know, CTE, it can make you depressed and it can and put you in a really bad state but it it does not make any excuses for this guy being a mass murderer um look i i don't know and i don't certainly have the answers to that the only situation that was really you know shocking to me with the cte and there's been a lot of them was junior Seau. i mean that was the one that was brought up in there too and say i lived in south florida for years i knew people who knew him who used to go out with him too and to hear uh you know of of, of his demise was just devastating at the time but uh, that, to me, was one of the bigger takeaways, Joe, was just kind of like, don't don't correlate the two things because, you know, the, the guy did unspeakable things and may, maybe reacted very quickly and rashly because of the CTE that he right. had. Right. Well, I think that's what the CTE, the expert, the doctor she was saying was, you know, that, that his CTE was the worst or one of the worst she has ever seen, especially of someone that age. Which is difficult because when you're factoring all the drug use and all the other, see, I feel like it's just part of the puzzle, right? Doesn't it feel like that? Like it was, you add in the repressed, at least bisexuality, um, his embarrassment about that, right? Yeah. You add in the the prototypical alpha male father who was also apparently abusive, 
then dies suddenly. Then the mother, that whole story with the mother, then, you know, ends up with the cousin's uh, husband and then that whole thing. And then almost like then Hernandez goes to live with the cousin because he can't stand the fact that that happened. And and then you add in the cocktail of Florida and the university and letting the kids get away with anything there, which I mean, I don't know how long we're going to do this in the college football world. You know, look what happened to Penn State. Look what happened to these other you know programs. You know, let's hold everybody accountable. I know they're kids, but, you know, let's stop letting the kids who are underage get into bars and do stupid things. And and once you get away with I mean, once you get away with something like that, it is very hard to say that you're going to get caught. And then he got away with something potentially, you know, for years and years. And of course, he was then acquitted of that. And that was a very interesting trial and some other things going on there. There was um, this was one of those things where it's not any one thing. It was all of them. They even talked about him being a young kid being knocked out cold on the field. And and this is something we talked about a couple of weeks ago. And, and I'm very anti young kids playing football because I do think as a child's brain is growing, the last thing you want to do is give it major head trauma. There's no way that can be a good thing. And nothing is worth that. It's just not. Well, by the time you get to be 15, 16, 17 years old, okay, that's a little bit different. But when you're 10, 11, 12, that's not good. And that's when these kids are playing and that's when they're having these injuries and that's where it's starting. And that's why by the time they get to be 28 years old, like Luke Keekley, they want to get out before something terrible happens or Rob Gronkowski or a, a host of other guys now who've been getting out of the game early. So I think it's a comb- The takeaway for me, Craig, was it was a combination of all of those things, all of those factors. And then also the factor of remember that one friend saying, of all the teams, I just wish the Patriots didn't take him because maybe he would have stood a better shot somewhere else. But when he was back in that element around that Connecticut area, there was it was very easy for him to fall back in with those other guys and look at where it all led to. I think he would have found trouble no matter what, but maybe it would have been a different level of trouble. But the, my big takeaway is is it was a fantastic three part series. Thought it was very well done, and I think it's there's also a bit of a failure around the league too of getting people proper psychological help when they need it. And that one um, young alignment from the Patriots, who was also a closeted homosexual for his entire life. And his discussions there were with a therapist from the NFL and her saying, well, you're not the first person to tell me this or the second or the third and making him feel like he wasn't alone. I just wish a lot of these guys would be, you know, when are we going to stop? When are we going to stop with this whole boys club nonsense? And when are we going to stop with the whole, like, who cares if you're gay or straight, whatever, are you a good teammate? Do you play hard? Do you do what you're supposed to do? When is it not embarrassing anymore to be the person you are? I don't, I don't, I hope we get to a point with that in our lifetimes where we see athletes who are openly gay and openly who they are and just still the athlete that they were and not have to worry about that and not get any crap for it. But, um, it was a perfect cocktail. I felt like Craig of all those things going wrong led to this demise of this kid. And when you also remember how young he was too, I mean, was he 24 years old when this all happened? Right. Yeah. I mean, it sounds right. I, I, um, of course I went to the university of Florida. So, um, I, I'm trying to think I covered a couple of games that he played in. And I think one of them was the <laughs> national championship, right. but, but, the thing for me is that I don't know that the sentiment of changing cultures in these college football places is ever going to change. Like this is almost what's required to win championships is to forget about the the, the person 
and just make sure you have talented players. And I know it's a very sad statement. I know Urban Meyer has been accused of this in, in a number of different places, both oh, in yeah. Florida and at, at Ohio State. Um, you know, it happens in the pros, too. I mean, they take chances on talent and then player issues aside. You take that kind of chance. I mean, New England you know, took a shot on Gordon, took a shot on Antonio Brown. I mean, th- these are the things that are required to win. You have to take these chances. And, and by the way, kids deserve second chances. But when Hernandez was at Florida, I had heard all about all of this stuff about how he was just, uh, you know, came from a bad background and had some issues. Now, to this degree, of course, I never heard anything about it, but there was definitely discussion even at that time of who he was. But I thought that it was all resolved when he got to the New England Patriots. And there he is winning. And, you know, it looked like his head was on straight and playing in the Super Bowl, playing great. And fantasy, we had him as a tight end. Like, I thought that that was it. I thought that Belichick had kind of repaired him like he did so many other cases. But definitely well, not. Wasn't that part of the staggering part of the, the story, too? Like, he was able to <clears throat> seemingly function professionally as well as he did. Because there were very little discipline actions from the Patriots. He showed up. They said he was always in every meeting. He never missed a meeting. He was always there on time. He always played well. That's that's the scariest. That's the scariest part of this. Yeah. Is that he was able to almost live two lives. Well, that's that sociopath. But like, here's the thing. If you have somebody who has sociopathic tendencies or those kind of issues, and then you add in all of these other numerous layers that would make just one of them was one of those things could set somebody into a very dangerous place. It's not surprising that the, the place he ended up, I mean, it's just, it's just not. And I'm, and I think, do think the CTE in terms of judgment, that's what everybody says about CTE. The judgment <clears throat> goes away. Your, your ability to process and then make sound judgments and reactionary things. So when you're mad, you're very mad. Like Dave Dewerson talked about that too. They they talked about like the mood swings of him getting to violent rages out of nowhere. And and the thing with Mike Webster too, right? They talked about that. And there was another guy who played for the Steelers too who had it. And they said that he would just absolutely just lose his mind sometimes. And you would go, over what? Like he would watch a football game and he couldn't like started like throwing things and breaking furniture and stuff out of his mind, like unstoppable. And that's that's the scary stuff about the CTE. And I just want them to take, I don't know, I just want them to take better care of the kids so we can have a better game when these guys are are grown men. I just think the damage is done by the time they're 21. Yeah, we'll see where we head with it. It's definitely sad, and um, definitely what we will say is that for whatever reason, Netflix keeps putting out these documentaries on killers and murders, and and people just are gravi- and and I'm included in that. I'm, we're all gravitated to it, like the Don't F with Cats, and then the Ted Bundy tapes, and this, and it's just they've Ted, Netflix has definitely found their niche with this with this but kind it's, of genre. It's network tv too even like in the 70s it was all those detective shows in the 80s and i mean all the nypd blue in the so. 90s i, I mean so. i guess i never got into them then and i, I hate law and order now. you couldn't i was on law and order i didn't even watch my own episode okay you were I did on not law care. Order? yeah i'm super famous but i didn't even care Wait, which, like, which episode was that who knows i don't know one of them oh, where I, come on you don't know don't, don't I, do I, that. I swear to god well you know craig you do a lot of shows not just because you're on tv doesn't mean that you like like you go to work like everybody else goes to work. At least that's the way I used to approach it. You don't remember anything about that episode? My Nothing. dad watched it. And it my, <laughs> my mom. What, and dad how long it. were you on the screen for? I don't know, a couple minutes, two lines or whatever, or three lines. And one of them got cut. So like, what are you going to do? Dude, let's not get into it. But I'm saying Wait is the second. point is everybody no, no, loves no, no, these shows. No, no. You're not getting out of this by any stretch. Why? I am going to find this episode of Law and Order. All right. Good. Good luck. Do you There's remember what year? Million of 
You remember no. what year? No, I was some BS mob guy sitting at a thing with a couple other guys. I was oh, like just I'm one of the pack. every Law and Order episode moving forward. <laughs> Good I, luck with I that. I honestly find, couldn't tell. And you. We are I, using that as a clip on this show. I am finding that thing. You could also now find I have me. My there was also a soap opera I was on for two episodes, not like as a good-looking man kind of thing. I was just like that guy at the bar. But uh, there's some good screen time on that, too. I still had some hair then, too. That That's oh, that's the clip to get. Come on. Come on. I got to find these. That is crazy. <laughs> good luck sifting through the, the law. I mean, you're right. Law, it was just the regular law and order? <laughs> um, well, it's what Jerry Arbach was the regular one, right? Yeah. Yeah, him and Jesse Martin was on. It was the Jesse Martin there because he was super nice. And we we're gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna dig and find this thing. Good luck. All right, good luck. Uh, coming up, Craig next, has a mission in life now. <laughs> coming up next, it is time for Exit Velocity, aka the Two Minute Drill. Don't go away. Are you ready for the nation's first and only free 24-hour network dedicated to you, the betting and fantasy sports enthusiast? SportsGrid will provide you with real-time content, statistics, and gaming intelligence unlike anything you've ever seen before. Located both in the heart of New York City and inside the FanDuel Sportsbook at the Meadowlands, SportsGrid is live 18 hours a day, here to serve you, the fanatic. This is SportsGrid. Get on the grid. Fantasy Sports Today with Craig Mish and Joe Pizzapia. Welcome back to Fantasy Sports Today. As we end the show, it's time to wrap it up with the two-minute warning. The two-minute warning. Two minutes, get your sh- together. Is that going to be enough time? I'm going to end the show with this. Early lines on the Super Bowl. Looks like Kansas City a slight favorite. And, of course, as we dive more into this game, we'll dive into the possibilities of who who may win or who may lose. But I got to tell you, it is worth the price, whatever it is, to get a good Super Bowl. I got to tell you, uh, we had a nice run of really exciting Super Bowls for about three or four years. We did. People forget that. Last year, we had a little bit of a dud. And, of course, the 80s and the 90s, we had a ton of duds. You didn't even want to watch the Super Bowl because one team would dominate the other. And certainly going into this one, all I can think about is give me that one great day of sports. The world essentially stops on the day of the Super Bowl for us to watch this thing. And then we're full uh, go toward baseball season. But hopefully... Uh, a week from Sunday, we get a good game. That's all I care about. That's all I want. We'll break it all down for you over the next couple of weeks. But give me that good game Super Bowl Sunday, and I'll be satisfied with the 2019-2020 NFL season. That'll do it for the show. Thanks again to David Bierman for coming on. For my co-host Joe Pisa I'm Craig Mish. Also, thanks to Sean Guastamacchia. Dr. Roto is coming up next. Full-time fantasy is on deck. We'll talk to you tomorrow at noon. Have a great day, everybody. See you.